book of Revelation chapter 8, Revelation chapter 8, and we're going to look very quickly tonight at Revelations 8 and 9, Revelation 9 and 9. I hope you'll, te- you'll pull down the notes if you have not done so already, and follow along, Revelations 8 and 9. If you're standing for the reading of the Scriptures, hope you'll read aloud at home and uh, get familiar with these words. And our, our goal in prayer, really, this, during this series is that you really just become very familiar with the book of Revelation and not be afraid of it. Not let the symbols and the judgments to come fear, cause fear in your heart. And uh, we pray that as we go through Isaiah, it gives you a better understanding through Isaiah and seeing Christ all over Isaiah. And uh, the Lord would just encourage us during these last days. You know, some people think, you know, this, this, could be, this could be the last generation of Christians that really going to make an impact on this world before Jesus comes for us. And so we want to make the most of it. Revelation 8, verse 1. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God. And to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, which came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer, and he filled it with fire of the altar. Literally, he took coals off that altar and put it inside that censer. Now, we just saw in verse 3 and 4 a remarkable, remarkable scene in heaven. I'll talk about it in a moment. The incense, the fragrance, referencing in verses 3 and 4, the prayers of all the saints. And this censer filled with the fire off that holy altar. The Bible says in verse 5, he cast it to the earth. He cast it to the earth. Now I want you to watch this before I keep reading. This sets the stage for what we now know in Scripture as the seven trumpet judgments. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And the seven angels, which had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded. There followed hail and fire mingled with blood. They were cast upon the earth, and the third part of trees was burnt up, And all the green grass was burnt up. And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. And the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. Did you notice that? In verse verse 9, verse 89, the salt water content Is messed up. Verse 10, the fresh water content is messed up. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. 
And the third part of the waters became wormwood. And many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. So, as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, the night likewise. And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. What they were saying in verse 13 is that the worst is still to come. This is Bible. This is not a Ray Bradbury science fiction novel, which, by the way, Ray Bradbury was an atheist. This is not a Stephen King horror story. This is God giving us a vivid description of an apocalyptic time. If you're not saved, and Jesus comes for us tonight, and one trumpet, the main trumpet we're listening for, sounds. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and we which are alive remaining shall be caught up together to be with them in the air. If you're not part of that, you're going to go through that seven years of tribulation, if you even make it. If you even make it. This evening, we want to look at the sound of the trumpets this evening. May God help us this evening to be fearful and mindful and prepared. Father, bless your word tonight in our hearts. Thank you for what's been read. Use it in our lives tonight. Make us better Christians, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, we studied the 144,000 witnesses in Revelation 7 and 14. You know, you go from Revelation 7 to Revelation 8, and Revelation 7, I just, you know, I spent some time on that and read it, and, and you know, just amazing, the, the, the great missionary band that God uh, will have on planet Earth during that time, which will preach the gospel during that tribulation period. In Revelation, we see a series of sevens that are used. We saw the seven churches of Asia Minor. We are now at the seventh seal, the seven seal judgments. We are looking at seven trumpet judgments, which the seventh seal, as it's open, reveals. Later on, we're going to see seven bold judgments. In the seven seal judgments, we see a world ruined by man. In the seven trumpet judgments, we see a world ruled by Satan. And in the seven bold judgments, we see a world, a world rescued by God. Two things mark Revelations 8 and 9 as we look at these seven trumpets. We see calamities and we see unprecedented demonic activity. Literally, literally as we look at a portion of chapter 9 tonight, hell is broken loose. Literally. And the demonic activity that is described here is nothing short a frightening. Notice tonight seven trumpets given to seven unique angels who are going to sound them one by one. Notice in verse one, the first thing we see tonight is a pause. A pause. A moment of silence. Years ago, I was making a visit on a family, and um, the oldest son is a good member of our church. He was just probably a high schooler at that time, I think. 
three younger siblings, and um, it was nothing short of a zoo in that house. The, the siblings were just, they were wild. I mean, they, it, was, it, was, it was a zoo. And so we're trying to witness to one of the parents. I told my wife, I said, hey, you, you work on her without me. Let, let me deal with the kids. I say, hey, guys, come over here. We're going to play a game. They said, oh, great. I said, sit on the couch. They said, what's the game? I said, I want to see how many of you can stay silent for two minutes. I took my money out. I pulled out a $20 bill. This see who stays silent for, 20, for two minutes gets a $20 bill. They all failed. Within 15 seconds. <laughs> they all failed. You ever been in a classroom? Your teacher said, shh, let's be quiet. One second goes by. Five seconds goes by. No big deal, right? 30 seconds goes by. A minute goes by. You know, after one minute, it gets a little bit uncomfortable, doesn't it? Moment of silence. You men who are married know this. You men who are married know this. You say the wrong thing to your wife. Amen. And she goes silent on you. You're in trouble. You're in trouble. The only thing worse than that is capital punishment. Amen. Yeah. And when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven. About the space of half an hour. You think about that for a minute. This is the first and only time in Scripture there is silence in heaven. I want you to understand something. When we read chapters 4 and 5, heaven is a place with a lot of activity, voices, and singing, and worship, and praising God. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a place where there's just a lot of wonderful activity there. But when the seventh seal is open, there is silence for the space of half an hour. Not a sound. Not one sound. This 30-minute interval had to happen to prepare heaven for what was about to come. You know, we need silence to help us to focus. Psalms 46.10 says, be still. Be still. Stillness means to be put to silence. Be still and know that I'm God. Meditating on the Word of God is being still. You cannot purposefully meditate on God's will unless you remove all the distractions, get rid of that cell phone, all the distractions that come, and you think and let the Holy Spirit be your teacher. Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Listen to Mark 4.39. And when he arose and rebuked the wind, he said into the sea, notice, peace, be still. There was calmness. There was no sound. Silence forces us to focus on the moment and what is to come. We get our thoughts collective where there's silence. <clears throat> our heart is prepared where there's silence. The purpose of silence is to help us to focus. But notice in our passage, the purpose of silence is to cause us to fear. If you don't have it in your notes, turn to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20. Very, very significant verse. <clears throat> but the Lord is in his holy temple. Praise God. Amen. Let all the earth keep silence before him. A time of silence is necessary because judgment is coming. That's what we're going to see here. 
A half hour of silence leaves an eerie feeling. There's this anxious anticipation something is about to come down. We see a pause. Secondly, would you notice we see the prayers? Another angel came. Take some time to thank God for his angels. There's a lot of angelic activity going on in, during the, the tribulation time. And he stood at the altar having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. Now we saw this in chapter, chapter uh, 6, I believe it was. The incense... And the prayers of God's people are pictured as incense. And as we read verses 3 and 4, it's a very encouraging verse, verses. Because in verse 3, we see the phrase, the prayers of all saints. Now, there's the saints and there are the ain'ts. You know what I mean? They're the saints and the ain'ts. If you ain't a saint, you ain't, okay? They're the saints and the ain'ts. And uh, verse 3, there's the prayers of all the saints. And verse 4, he says, he talks about here the prayers of the saints. Now, who are the saints? Those are all the saved, the redeemed throughout all the ages. And before, before the trumpets are sounding, this one angel takes this censer. And you read about that, I believe it's in Exodus chapter 29, how the priest did that. And um, the Lord gave him much incense to burn this incense as a, a wonderful fragrance to God. But it's interesting of the emphasis in chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8 on prayer. You know, before we get to heaven, we better do a lot of praying. Before we get to glory land, we better make sure we've done a lot of praying. I want to encourage you to start praying. I want to encourage you to pray much. Because as I see this passage of Scripture, it encourages me before these judgments are going to come that there's an emphasis on prayer. And we're going to see some things about it. First of all, I see acceptance. The Bible says the prayers of all the saints. I, hey, I'm glad this evening that God accepts our prayers. You may think he doesn't hear you, but just because he didn't answer you according to your timeline did not, does not mean he did not hear. I'm going to tell you tonight, God does not turn a deaf ear to the prayers of his people. I'm thankful tonight there's acceptance of our prayers. You say, well, I'm, I'm nobody. No, you're somebody to Jesus. When you got saved, you read Hebrews 10.19. The Bible says in Hebrews 10.19, we're able to enter into the holiest of places by the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, when Jesus shed blood, entitles you and enables you to come into the very presence of God. You pray in Jesus' name, but you come in the blood of Jesus Christ when you come into the presence of God. There's acceptance, I see. Secondly, notice in verse 3 to 4, I see the accumulation of those prayers. I see acceptance in those prayers, but I see accumulation. Notice he says there, with him, the prayers of all the saints. One of my blessings the last several weeks is we've done these um, HBC Cares drop-offs, these hostels and places. You know, brother, one of my blessings is when, when the team has presented those, those thank you notes and those letters to the healthcare workers. That's a blessing to me. You know what those are? Those are the accumulation of thank yous. Did you know God doesn't shred your prayers up? Did you know God accumulates your prayers? Did you know there's a record of your prayers just like there's a record of every tear that you shed? The Bible says the prayers of all the saints... All prayers, short and long, are accumulated before God. I see the aroma. 
Psalms 141, verse 2, Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up my hands of the evening sacrament. Just that very statement there, just the fact that it's a, it's a symbol of our prayer. Incense itself. Listen, our prayers are holy. I will that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath, without doubting. Hey, if you're angry, don't pray. I said, if you're angry, don't pray. You've got vengeance in your heart, don't pray. Without wrath, without doubting. He was given much incense. God loves our praying, man. There's the aroma. You say, wait, wait a minute. I want you to notice something. Go to Ephesians 5.2. And it tells us something wonderful. It says, walk in love, even as Christ has loved us, and has given himself for us an offering savor unto God. Did you know that that incense and our prayers is it represents that incense represents the total worth of Jesus Christ? He's a sweet smelling savor unto God. It represents the death of Christ. I mean, I don't know about you, that's powerful. That is powerful to think about our Jesus, the incense, it is representing the wonderful Wonderful worth of Jesus Christ in our praying. You see, when we pray, we have two advocates. We have an advocate in heaven, Jesus Christ the righteous. But we have an advocate not only in heaven, we have an advocate in our heart. The Holy Spirit, according to Romans 8, 27, he helps us to pray with groanings and utterings which cannot be uttered. Listen, we don't know what to say many times, and we may be overwhelmed, and we don't have the words, but thank God the Holy Spirit turns our inarticulation into articulation before God our Father. I see the abundance. I see the abundance. Notice again, he says, that he should offer with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar and the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints. The redeemed in heaven, as this is happening, are thankful for the time they spend in prayer. This is a good time for a lot of us to read Ian Bounds again. And that section about mighty men of God, like John Payson, who wore grooves into the hardwood floor where he prayed two hours a day. I'm not much of a Martin Luther fan. Martin Luther was a Protestant, but I'll tell you one thing about Martin Luther. He did pray. And there's a story that, that he, he sensed that Satanic presence in his room as he prayed, Satan pressuring him. And one time he felt it and he rebuked the devil and took an ink blotter that he had and he threw it. And they said literally the ink blotter hit right on the wall and stained it. And they left the stain there as a reminder that he was in battle, laboring fervently in his prayers for the saint, for God's people there. Hey, it reminds you, I can tell you about saints of God like, like David Brenner and, 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 and John praying Hyde and people like that. And Hudson Taylor who prayed, listen, we ought to do more praying and not less praying. I say the always. We're to pray always with all prayers and supplication. We're to pray without ceasing. But I see anxiety as well. I see prayers of the saints when they were on earth. For those who studiously studied the prophets and read about judges to come. You see, you watch all the positive preachers on television who preach the same recurring message, positive thinking guys like the Joel Austins, and you're going to miss out on what the Bible says about the future. Real Christianity. And I'm going to tell you as I read this, there are, there are those saints in heaven, the redeemed of all the ages, which represented those prayers where it was anxiousness. Prayers for mothers and fathers to get saved before judgment would come. Prayers for unsafe spouses, unsafe children to get saved before judgment would come. And they prayed for extended seasons just a little bit longer, God. Just a little bit longer. 
Do you pray? Do you pray always? Do you pray abundantly? Do you pray out of concern? Are you moved with a sense of urgency? We see the prayers of all the saints. And we see something now, notice. Or we're fixated on this pause. And the incense in heaven. And the angel took the censer. And he filled with fire of the altar. And cast it to the earth. You know that prayer Jesus gave as a model, Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray that many times. Do you know what he's really talking about there? He's talking about judgment to come. That's God's will. Because the inevitable is God has an extended season. We're in this age of grace right now. God has an extended season for those without Christ to come to him. But the time will come when the age of grace will close. When the age of grace closes and the church is removed, listen, it becomes an age of judgment. And quite likely that this, the reason why this incense, this censer is thrown down is because there were the accumulation of prayers for God's will to be done on earth. For saints who were persecuted. And it's cast to the earth. And, it's, it's, and it's, as it's cast, notice verse 5. The Bible gives us a number of things that are a warning to planet earth. The trumpets are going to sound. There are voices. There are thunderings. So if you would, we get to before verse 5, we have the stillness before the storm, the calm before the storm. We read about that previously. And he said there are voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. There's a great shaking. One of my preacher friends will call me every now and then. And his line, he'll say to me when, it, when I pick it up, he says, it's happening. Or he'll say, It happened. You might say here, it's going to happen. It's coming down. And we saw the pause, we saw the prayers. Notice, we see the punishments. The casting of the censer means there's no more praying. Prayer time's over. Judgment's coming. The storms and calamities are being unleashed. Notice, first of all, chapter 8, verses 6 to 12, we see the disasters. Four trumpets are sounded. We see a series of one-third descriptions. One-third. We're going to get into this a little bit tonight. Notice the first thing we see in verse 6. Excuse me, verse 7. As we see a fiery storm, that's not in your notes. We see a fiery storm. The first angel sounded, he blew the trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. Now we saw something like that there in Exodus chapter 9. On the seventh plague that God sent through Moses, where hail and fire came and did havoc on all the on all of the of all of the wheat and the grain and everything there, all the plant life there in Egypt. And the Bible says here that he sounded it, and as he sounded, I'll tell you what I think this is. I believe that this was probably a nuclear explosion in the sky at whatever altitude, I don't know, only God knows. A nuclear explosion that disrupted the elements and caused a great cataclysmic geostorm. It's a geostorm. Hail and fire. And when it says blood, the likelihood is 
there could be a radioactive fallout from that. We here in California understand wildfires. We've seen some of the devastations. We've had back-to-back -back years of wildfires that has devastated great forestry. They call it deforestation. I want you to imagine with me as we read this passage, one-third of the earth because of, and it could be multiple nuclear explosions that trigger this. You've got North Korea, you've got Iran, you've got Russia, you've got the United States. I mean, it could be, it could be multiple nuclear explosions going on in the atmosphere at different altitudes. It could be satellites that are triggering off things. And the entire, the entire atmosphere is altered. I remember one year, we went on a missions trip to, to China. We're in Beijing. And the sky was very eerily red. And I'd ask somebody, is this because of the sandstorm from, from the Gobi Desert? They said, no. The Chinese government had been seeding the clouds to get it ready to produce some, their own version of rain. People can mess with the, they can mess with the elements. And sometimes messing with it alters what God had in mind. Wildfires are very devastating. And the Bible says here in verse 7, one-third of the trees were burnt up and all the green grass was burnt up. Now, it could be accidents. It could be nuclear fallout. It could be the aftermath of wars. But I want you to read that with me. Look, look what's happening here. One-third of your trees, one-third of your grass... What's getting burned up? Well, number one, let's think about oxygen levels, carbon dioxide levels. It's all messed up now. Think about the plume of smoke in the air. Think back with me last year, or even two years ago, when those wildfires north of us were out of control. And remember our sky was eerily red? And remember the thickness of the smoke? Remember how many of us started buying N95 masks, not realizing we'd be keeping them a little bit longer, amen? And remember the difficulty breathing and the air quality report, which a lot of us probably never paid attention to. We're looking at it every day. What's the air quality report? And the numbers were way off the chart. They were triple digits. And they were, we were told to stay inside. But think with me, as one-third of the trees and the grass is burned up, think with me what happens to our food supply. Think of me about farms that are burnt up. Think about manufacturing processes that are burned up. I'm just saying today, we see fail and fire mingle. Go with me to Matthew 24, 29. I'm going to give you this so you can understand something that's going to come up a little bit later. Matthew 24, 29. Go to Matthew 24, 20. Don't look at your notes. Go look at the scripture for a minute. Matthew 24, 29 is a... Jesus giving us the great tribulation. And it says, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened. And we're going to see that a little bit later. And the moon shall not give her light. We're going to see that a little bit later. That's the fourth trumpet sound. And the stars shall fall from heaven. I want you to notice the phrase. And the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Would you, would you circle the word power and the word heavens? Write this down your margin. The word powers is our word dunamis. Dunamis implies dynamite or explosion. Heavens is a word, it's a word uranus. Did you know we get our word uranium from that word? Like the explosion of uranium. Don't tell me God doesn't know what's going on. Amen? What happens there is like an explosion of uranium that puts the earth and the atmosphere completely in imbalance. Verse 7, this fiery storm affects oxygen levels, carbon dioxide levels, and it affects also the food supply. Trumpet number 2. We see the fiery storm. 
And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. Most people believe this is probably a meteor of gigantic proportion that enters into our atmosphere, and somehow it has radioactive material that affects the sea that's mentioned here. Did you notice this? And the third part of the sea became blood. We see a fiery storm. We see the filthy seas. The waters turn into the color of blood. Well, we saw that when God did the very first plague on the Nile River and the water supply around that. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. Now, we're really not clear when it says sea. Does it mean all of the oceans or specific sea? I hold to the position, and I could be wrong, that it could be specifically talking about the Mediterranean Sea because of the proximity where John was at. And if you look on a map, where the, where the, the impact of all the, the nations of Africa and Europe, and they're, and they're on the Middle East, and they're also there on Asia. You go to the Mediterranean Sea, and all of those continents that are surrounding it are greatly dependent upon the fish of the ocean to sustain their economies. You ever buy fish and they advertise, uh, they advertise it being sustainable? Sustainability is destroyed right there. And the Bible says that it's this great meteor, if you would, this flaming meteor that's got radioactive gases and things of that nature, comes into that sea. It destroys all sea life. Not all, but one-third of the sea life, and that's a lot. And a third part of the ships were destroyed. I did a little research on that. I said, well, what about if it's the Mediterranean Sea? Well, think with me for just a minute. They say there are 50,000 merchant ships at any one time in the Mediterranean Sea by itself. You, you just think about that. Have you, have you been on the freeways lately? Have you noticed the number of trucks on the freeway? The logistical supply chain? that is up and down our freeway system, it's pretty scary the number of trucks that are out there right now. Because they're busily trying to get from destination to destination to get their deliveries done. And if you can imagine with me, the Mediterranean Sea, if there are 50,000 merchant ships there at any one time, that's a lot of ships. That doesn't include privately owned uh, fishing vessels. And then on top of that, listen to this, then on top of that, the U.S. 6th Fleet is stationed there. Ten ships. 130 aircraft, 9,000 personnel represented. That's just our fleets on the 6th Fleet. Imagine with me all the commercial ships, oil tankers, cargo ships, and naval fleets. Listen, the entire shipping logistics is turned upside down. One-third of the cargo ships and oil tankers are turned upside down. Whatever goes on there, it's a maritime nightmare there. There's a filthy sea. The waters are polluted. When that meteor hits, there is, a, there is a tidal wave of such epic proportion, it flips everything over. You say it could happen. The Bible says it's going to happen. There's a fiery storm. There's a filthy sea. Notice the fallen star. And the third angel sounded, there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were as a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of water. Now notice this. Rivers and fountains of waters. Fresh water supply. I said fresh water supply. The salt water supply was affected by this meteor in, in star number two. The fresh water supply is affected. Now you think of me for a minute, the ramification of that. The food supply is affected. Now the fresh water supply is affected. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became wormwood. And many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. Hey, listen, is this, this, this star, whatever happens as it affects the water supply chain, 
the fresh water supply chain, the rivers and so forth, however that happens there. Listen, what happens to it is that waters become undrinkable. We read about that over in Exodus chapter 15. They came to this body of water called Mara. They tried to drink of it, and the Bible says the word Mara means bitter. The waters were bitter. Wormwood means bitter. There is a small, small percentage of all the water that's in the world that is drinkable water. And I want you to understand, as we get a little further into this, listen, the seasons are going to be affected. There will be long seasons of no rain. Men will be dying of hunger because of, of the first trumpet, and men will be dying of thirst because of the third trumpet. Isn't it interesting? In trumpet number one, the source for making bread is destroyed. And God's God's way of saying, you didn't want the bread of life when it was here. I'm going to take your bread from you. Isn't it an irony here in, story, in this number, this third, this third trumpet sounding, that the waters are affected? It's like God's saying, you didn't want the water of life when he was available. You wouldn't drink from that water of life when he's here. I'm going to take away your water. I'm going to make you thirsty. What irony. Then we get to verse 12. We see the failing sun. And it could be because of what happened in the first three trumpets. This fallout. The burning away of the ozone. Atmospheric disruption. Geostorms, which are real. The Bible says in verse 12, the fourth angel sounded, the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. And you go back to the day of when we, at creation when God made the sun, and God made the stars, and he gave the light, and he gave light, and he gave day, and God called it good. He says, so as the third part of them was darkened. And the day show not for a third part of it, the night likewise. Can you imagine right now? Can you imagine that? One third of day and night will be completely darkness. Darkness covered the earth. Darkness covered Jerusalem, if you would. When Jesus was on the cross... At that sixth hour. And I want you to imagine the horror of great darkness upon the earth. And again, as I mentioned, you go back to Matthew 24, 29, the powers of the heavens. John, in his mind, he's trying to, you know, process this. I don't know about you, that's a lot. And he did process it. And he recorded it exactly as God gave it to him. And before, before he could really sit down and really sense it, notice verse 13. Verse 13 now brings us to two more judgments, two more trumpets. And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven. Now, some say that the translation here is an eagle. And that's so, that's the last of, of the beasts that are speaking. We read about Balaam's donkey that spoke. And I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe. Those who are saying, this is not the worst of it yet. This is not the worst of it. And you underline that phrase, it's recurring through, through the, the tribulation period. The inhabitants of the earth sometimes is referred to as earth dwellers. That means everyone who's on planet earth who will have received the mark of the beast. We jump to verse not, chapter 9. We see the disasters. Quickly, would you notice verse chapter 9, the demons. The demonism. And he says in verse 1, I saw the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. 
And to him was given that fallen star is Satan. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. Many believe that it goes right down to the core of the earth. And you open the bottomless pit, all hell is going to be broken loose. Remember, Jesus holds the keys of death and hell. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there rose a smoke out of the pit, and the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. Now watch what happens here. We're going to see demonic activity that's unprecedented on planet earth. Now it was bad during Noah's time, but it's going to be really bad during the tribulation time. Let me give you some descriptions about these demons. Would you notice, first of all, in verses 1 to 3 and verse 11, these demons are hellish. They're right out of hell itself. The Bible tells us that they came out of the bottomless pit. If you go to 2 Peter 2, 4, it's described there as those, that, that, that place of darkness where the angels that are chained in darkness are gone. We call it in the Greek word the Tartarus. These demons are unleashed. So terrible is this bottomless pit. Smoke came out of it. He says, like smoke out of a great furnace, and the sun and air were darkened. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. In verse 11, and they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon. But in the Greek, the, tongue, the Greek tongue has his name Apollyon. That's Satan himself. These demons are hellish. Hey, get off of Harry Potter. Get off these demonic channels. Don't play with Luigi. They're real. These demons are hurtful. They're given power. In verses 3 to 6, the scorpions of the earth have power. And what they were done, these, these, these locusts, basically, they're not there to consume to consume the, the food supply. That's already been, a third of it's been burned up. They're there to afflict the men on earth who've received the mark of the beast, which we'll see more about in Revelation 13. And to them it was said in verse 5, it was given that they should not kill them. Verse 4 says, but they were to afflict the men who, had the, who did not have the seal of God in their foreheads. That they should be tormented five months. Locusts, I understand, have a, have a lifespan of about five months. So for five months, they're biting and afflicting men, and the affliction is equivalent to the pain inflicted by scorpion. Now, I don't know much about scorpion stings. I did a re little bit of research on it, but my understanding is if you get stung by scorpions, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty excruciating. And the description here of these men, they, the Bible says, their torment was the tor torment of a scorpion when he striketh the man. Notice verse 6. And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it and shall desire to die and death shall flee from it. That's an astounding statement. When they, they, get, they get stung by these scorpions, men want to die. They don't want to live. They're going to try to find ways to take their own lives and it won't happen. It's not going to happen. They're going to be tormented for that period of time. Five months. What an astounding statement. They shall desire to die. and Death shall flee from them. They can't overdose. There will be no self-inflicted wound that will take it away. No matter what, whatever they can, they can think of in their mind to do... They're going to be tormented. These demons are hellish. These demons are hurtful. These demons are hideous. Verse 7 says, The shapes of the locusts were likened to horses prepared unto battle. And on their heads were, were crowns like gold. And their faces were the faces of men. And their, they had the hair as the hair of women. And their teeth were as, as the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates as it were breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running the battle. Listen, they're hideous in appearance. People will try to run from them and they can't escape. Their power was to hurt men for five months. They're so deceptive. Men will think that they're harmless at first, and then they're going to realize they need to run. And these demons that are running loose in the form of locusts, they are defiant. They're broken loose. 
There's no head to protect anyone. A- anyone who does not have the mark of God on their head, they are, they're going to be subject to be stung. I imagine that every man will be stung. Verse 11, these demons have a high hand. We saw that earlier. The name of the king of these demons is Apollyon. Apollyon means destroyer. Satan is the author of death. He's a murderer from the beginning. Notice in verses 14 to 21, we see that these demons are hitmen. They are murderers. They are sent. They come out of hell for one reason. There's a different group of angels that come out now. And we see the sixth angel has a trumpet, and he sounds that trumpet. We've seen the fifth trumpet. These locusts have come out. Now we see the sixth trumpet. Now men have been tormented by this fifth trumpet. On the sixth trumpet, we're going to see a large proportion of men that are going to die. And he said in verse 14, Loosen the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. These demonic angels have been bound there. Just like those angels we talked about in 2 Peter 2, 4. And the four angels were loosened, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. What that basically tells you, there is an appointed time. May I remind you this morning, there is an appointed time. God does things by appointment, not by accident. And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and then the sound on them, having breastplates of fire and of jacinth and in brimstone, and the heads of the horses were the heads of lions, and, and, and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. Fathom that. What comes out of their mouth is fire, smoke, and brimstone. Listen, that, that, you, you think about the, the mythologies about dragons breathing fire. These demons, these demons, uh, they're, they're going to be breathing fire and smoke and brimstone. And the Bible says in verse 18, by these three, was the third part of men killed by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. I cannot help but think that may be nuclear fallout. Now, you, you're going to say I'm a little crazy, but I'm going to tell you something tonight. You need to study Ephesians chapter 6. And it tells us about those hierarchies of evil. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. And the last of those evils, the highest hierarchy, is spiritual wickedness in high places. That could be very well, be very well tyrants and dictators and madmen in control who are going to push that button. Because they're already, they're under the influence. And when those four demons come out and they're circling around the earth and they're influencing men, listen, they're going to start pushing their buttons there. And notice the Bible says there, in verse 18, that third part of the men on earth are killed by fire. Well, we read earlier about that, that through all the other things that happen, one-fourth of the world's population will die off. We saw that in chapter 6. Now another th- a third part of the men will be killed by, th- by these demons. And verse 19 says, For the power is in their mouth and their tails, for their tails were like unto serpents and had heads, and with them do they do hurt. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not of the works of their hands. So we see a plague right now. It's called COVID-19. We're getting a foretaste of what's going to happen in much more epic proportion. We've seen wildfires that have devastated the California landscape, Colorado landscape, and also the Arizona landscape. Small scale compared to what will happen on planet Earth during the tribulation. And verse 20 is very, 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 and 21 are very sobering. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues. Now you would think people are dying by these plagues. A fourth of the men are killed. You would think it would stir people to repentance. You would think the staggering numbers of COVID-19 are stirring people to repentance. But look what the Bible tells us. This is how the depravity of man is so, so magnified here. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood. I mean, I want you to understand, this is a prophecy about the entire world. You know why we focus on the 1040 window of the world? There's a lot of idolatry in the 1040 window of the world. A lot of idolatry. 
We see it right there. He speaks about those men who do who are worshiping devils and idols of gold and silver, brass and stone of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. He's saying they didn't repent. It's clearly the handwriting of God on the wall. They did not repent. Then it speaks about the rest of men. Neither repented they of their murders, of their sorceries, and I believe that's drug dealing. nor of their fornications, nor of their thefts. These demons that come out of the pit when the sixth trumpet sounds are the devil's hit men. Man, that's tough. There's this pause in heaven. There are the prayers of the saints. There's the punishment upon men. And we stop and think, this is rough. But as I close tonight very quickly, in all of this, I see a promise. I want you to turn with your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 to 10. Because we need to get back to the right perspective of right now. Right now. First Thessalonians 5, verses 9 and 10. You want to remember these verses. For God has not appointed us. Who's us? That's me and you. Amen. God has not appointed us to wrath. That's why you study this word wrath, especially as we get the tribulation. He's talking about the wrath of God during the tribulation time. God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or or sleep, that we should live together with him. Now, I want to focus right now on why we live. Here's the promise. God doesn't want you to go through the tribulation. Praise the Lord. God does not want you to go through the tribulation. God wants you to obtain salvation. God wants you to be saved. Listen, how quickly can this happen? If the trumpet for the church sounds tonight, I'm going up. I've got a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ that are going up in the twink of an eye, a fraction of a second. We're going up. We're going to be taken out of this world. God has not appointed us to wrath. I've got a promise for you. You don't have to go through the tribulation. You can go with me to heaven. It's kind of like your car breaking down. You're in the middle of nowhere. You're having to walk a long way to, to, to get help. And somebody pulls up in a car, it's a familiar face, and they roll down the window and says, hey, do you want to ride? And you got to think really quickly in a fractured second, am I going to walk 15 miles to fill up my gas tank or to get a tow truck to help me because I don't have any cell service here? Or I know this person's car, am I going to take a ride? You know what? I'm going to take the ride, amen? And I want to encourage you tonight, we're not taking you on a ride, but I do want you to notice this. You want to be ready if Jesus comes. You want to be ready to go up with Jesus tonight if he comes. You don't have to suffer through the great tribulation. You repent of your sins. Call on the name of the Lord to save you. And for whatever period of time God gives us, maybe God will give us a space of grace that's much longer. Just live for him. Christian friend, I want to encourage you, if you're not really decided for the Lord, live for him. For me to live is Christ. I said this in another service. You're not living if you're not living for Christ. You don't really know life. It's wonderful to be a Christian. Would you get saved tonight? Would you live as if Jesus is going to come tonight? If I had to choose between Jesus coming tonight and the church reopening, I'd want Jesus to come tonight. Because remember what I said about the model prayer of Jesus in Matthew 6. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Revelation is God's will in heaven that will be done here on earth. 
You don't have to go through the geostorm. You don't have to die of starvation. You don't have to die of thirst. You don't have to be tormented by those scorpions, those, those locusts who have scorpion tails. Awful time period. Nuclear peace treaties are not going to stop the production of nuclear armament. Get saved tonight. God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ.